Uh, Well, good morning. My name's Rachel. I'll be reading the Bible for you today. And today we're reading Micah. Um, If you're reading from one of the church Bibles, I think it's 757. Micah's a little tricky to find sometimes, so I I thought I'd give you the number. We're reading Micah chapter 4 and chapter 5. It's a bit of a long one today, so sit back. All right, Micah chapter 4. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The Lord will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree and no one will make them afraid for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame. I will assemble the exiles and those I've brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant, those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of daughter Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to daughter Jerusalem. Why do you now cry aloud? Have you no king? Has your ruler perished? That pain seizes you like that of a woman in labour? Writhe in agony, daughter Zion, like a woman in labour. For now you must leave the city to camp in the open field. There you will go to Babylon. Um, You will go to Babylon. There you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you out of the hands of your enemies. But now many nations are gathered against you. They say, let her be defiled. Let our eyes gloat over Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan that he has gathered them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Rise and thresh, daughter Zion, for I will give you horns of iron. I will give you hooves of bronze and you will break to pieces many nations. You will devote their ill-gotten gains to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. Chapter 5. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time she who is in labour bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. 
He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth. And he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses. We will raise against them seven shepherds, even eight commanders who will rule the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod with a drawn sword. He will deliver us from the Assyrians when they invade our land and march across our borders. The remnant of Jacob will be in the midst of many people, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which do not wait for anyone or depend on man. The remnant of Jacob will be among the nations, in the midst of many people, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which mauls and mangles as it goes and no one can rescue. Your hand will be lifted up in triumph over your enemies and all your foes will be destroyed. In that day, declares the Lord, I will destroy your horses from among you and demolish your chariots. I will destroy the cities of your land and tear down your strongholds. I will destroy your witchcraft and you will no longer cast spells. I will destroy your idols and your sacred stones from among you. You will no longer bow down to the work of your hands. I will uproot from among you your Asherah poles when I demolish your cities. I will take vengeance and vengeance in anger and wrath on the nations that have not obeyed me. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. I wonder, does this image fill you with delight or terror? <laughs> I can see, uh, where's, where's Ali? Ali somewhere is, is shuddering in horror right now. Uh, she told me this is, uh, this is, uh, fills her with fear, Mariah Carey, at this time of year. <laughs> I understand if that's how you're feeling. I wonder then how you responded to uh, uh, Micah 5 verse 2 with the same sort of horror, like can we just save preaching about Bethlehem till later in the year? Seriously, uh, any traditionalists like me are looking at Micah 5 verse 2 and saying that is a Christmas passage. It is not Christmas yet. Christmas is 42 days away. Although when I say that, that seems like not very long. But still, uh, it is not yet Christmas. Here is a message from the purists. This is the church calendar. Okay? The church organises the year, uh, the first half of the year matching the life of Jesus, the second half of the year just ordinary time. See that little sliver of white? Um, uh, That is Christmas. The period of Christmas starts at Christmas, the celebration of the birth of the Christ on the 25th of December. And Christmas lasts for, you guessed it, 12 days, just like the song, 12 days until Epiphany which is the celebration of the visit of the wise men, the Magi, 12 days of Christmas. So if you want to know when do you put the Christmas decorations up and when do you take the Christmas decorations down, that's easy. You put them up when Christmas starts, you take them down when Christmas finishes. December 25 to January 6. (laughs) 
Now, if you, if you like, if you like, what you can do is you can put up the Christmas tree at the beginning of Advent, which is what some people do. But you're not allowed to decorate it until Christmas Eve because Advent, Advent is a time of uh, repentance, of meditation on our sin, recognising that we need a saviour so that we don't celebrate until the saviour comes at Christmas. <laughs> now I can see the traditionalists, they're all celebrating with me. Um, for the non-traditionalists, at least, you'll be glad to know this is not the main point of my sermon today. <laughs> but I have got it off my chest. We're preaching through the book of Micah, which is in one sense an extraordinary thing to do, that together, uh, are together as people that live in the early 21st century to listen to the words of a preacher that lived over two and a half thousand years ago on the other side of the world, speaking to a group of people in an entirely different context to ours. And yet we do this because we believe that as we listen in to what God said through the prophet Micah to his people, that we will hear what God says uh, to us, what God says to uh, our world in our time. Today we come to chapters 4 and 5 and here we hear a message of hope and a call to peace. And so I wonder, is there anyone here who lives in a world of violence and war, a world in need of peace and hope? Anyone? Then let's listen in. I have, however, taken a bit of a Christmas theme to my sermon today, uh, inspired more by Micah 5 verse 2 than by the Maya Christmas windows. Here is my first point. Christmas carols aren't just for Christmas. Christmas carols aren't just for Christmas. Apart from a brief respite at the end of chapter 2 of Micah, so far the message has been pretty grim, a message of judgment upon God's people. In contrast, chapters 4 and 5 bring this extraordinary message of hope. And really we have here two of the, the most hope-filled or the most famously hope-filled passages of the Old Testament. Come with me first to Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through to 5. This passage is so great that Isaiah copied it and put it in his book in Isaiah chapter 2 or maybe Micah copied Isaiah or maybe both of them copied somebody else or maybe they just had the same idea from God. Either way, this passage is so good it's worth saying twice and it's a passage that is so good that it's worth putting on the wall outside the United Nations. You go to the United Nations in New York and you will see, quoted from Isaiah, but these same words from Micah, that the people will beat their swords into ploughshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Uh, Micah uh, chapter 4 gives us a vision of world peace, of the end of war, a vision of prosperity. Everyone will sit under their own vine, under their own fig tree and a vision of security. No one will make them afraid because the Lord Almighty has spoken. That's the vision of peace, of prosperity and of security and that for the whole world. 
And where does this vision of peace, where, where does this world of peace come from? Well, if we work backwards from uh, Micah uh, 3, the first part of verse 3, well, the answer is let's replace the UN Security Council with God himself. That's the vision. God will judge. He will rule. God will be the ruler. God will be the one who will settle disputes between nations. God will be the one. God himself will broker peace deals. So you see, humans turning their swords into plowshares and their spears into agricultural equipment is not the prelude to peace, it's the result of peace. God brings peace. And so what do you do with your sword? You've got no need of a sword. You have no need of a spear. So make it into a plowshare instead. God will rule because people will repent. Many people will have a change of vision. Come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord. Let's change our vision and, and, and go up to this place. The people of the world will have a change of mind. Let's come to the mountain of the Lord so that we would be taught by God that we might also have a change of decision, of direction, that we may walk in his ways, live the way that God has called us to live. And this change of direction and mind and vision from the peoples of the world comes because the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of all the mountains. Which is a strange uh, vision because, well, Mount Zion is a mountain. That's where the temple was built. That's what ancient people did. You build temples on the tops of the hills. It's what the church did in Australia. You go to country towns and the Anglican church will be at the top of the hill. Uh, The Anglicans got their, well, of the settlers, got their first, stole the best land and put the churches at the top of the hills. So the temple was built at the top of the hill of Mount Zion. But Mount Zion is a a, a punty little hill. It's not even the biggest hill in Jerusalem. The Mount of Olives sort of towers over it. But in the last days, the temple of the Lord will be the highest mountain in the whole world. It's an image to say that now God will be the focus of all the nations. When will that happen? Well, in the last days. In the future for Micah. Well, I guess the question is, is their future our reality? Which brings us to the second uh, uh, most famous um, uh, passage of hope Um, from this uh, book and it's from the beginning of chapter 5 this prophecy of a ruler who will come does this remind you of anyone from Bethlehem with origins from ancient times who will be a shepherd who will serve with the strength and majesty of God who will bring security and peace to the ends of the earth It's not difficult, is it, to see why this is a Christmas passage. This is the passage that Matthew quotes in Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. The wise men come and and they've read this passage. 
that from Bethlehem a ruler will come and that's what leads them inevitably to the birth of Jesus. So he had this great vision in Micah, this great vision of hope, global peace, security and prosperity for all and a ruler sent from God, born in Bethlehem. So has this vision been fulfilled, yes or no? And the answer is both. That yes, we live in the last days because God's promised ruler has come, but we don't yet experience the last days because the promises of peace have not yet come. The promises of the Old Testament are both now and not yet now. It's sort of like when you're driving on a long, long country road and you see up ahead a building that you're, you're approaching. And as you get closer to that building, you realise, no, that's not just one building, that's a whole line of buildings. And once you pass the first one, you can look back at the beginning and you can still look forward to the end and that's where we are. To Micah, he looked forward to the last days and he saw this, this one event where there would be world peace because the ruler sent from God would come. And we, as we've drawn closer, then we realise that, no, these are two events connected but separated by time. The, the promised ruler has come and the promises have been inaugurated. But we look forward to them being finally fulfilled. The point is this, we still look forward in hope to a world free of war and injustice, of self-serving and corrupt leaders. We've seen this in Micah, haven't we, over the last weeks, that that's the world that Micah lived in, a world of suffering, a world of injustice, a world of self-serving and corrupt leaders, a world under the judgment of God. And Micah lived in a world that offers alternate means of security. Micah 4 verse 5, having given this vision of hope, Micah brings a challenge to the people of God. There's a choice before us. Would you walk according to the gods of the nations or will you live in faithful trust and obedience to the Lord God of Israel? My question is, what sustained them in that choice? What enabled the people of God to make that choice, to put their faith in the name of the Lord our God? And the answer is... Trust in God's promise of hope, faith-filled hope that heard God's promise and trusted him and took him at his word. That's why Christmas carols aren't just for Christmas. We need songs of hope to inspire us all year round. And Christmas carols are among the most hope-filled songs that human beings have known. I uh, took this recommendation from one of my colleagues here at Ridley, our theology lecturer, Scott Harrower, who made this point. Christmas carols are full of hope. 
And so since then, I've uh, I added a couple of Christmas carols to my morning prayer Spotify playlist. Some mornings you may see me wandering around Princess Park or the grass circle at Royal Park. I'll probably not say hello to you because often I'm walking without my glasses and I just don't recognise you. So you might wave and I just don't see you. So um, my apologies in advance. But often what will be happening is that I'm listening, among other songs, but included in the playlist, Joy to the World, O Come All Ye Faithful, all year round. <laughs> because they're songs of hope. And I need hope. Now, you don't have to listen to Christmas carols if you don't want to. <laughs> but we do need to maintain hope by repeating the promises of God over and over and over again. We live in a world of alternative offers of security and they are not shy about promoting their vision of the good life. The need to find security in having enough superannuation. The offer of finding power by joining the right political party. The offer of pleasure by having your pick of sexual partners. The offer of fulfilment by going on the very best of holidays. The offer of significance by choosing your own life path. There are many alternatives that are on offer today and every day. And so we come to church week after week so that we might hear the gospel read and taught and sung and prayed. But what's one and a half hours in a week compared to the 24-7 onslaught of our world? Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his Lord day and night. And my friends, brothers and sisters, one way to do that is to sing Christmas carols all year round. Now, if you do sing Christmas carols all year round, that would also mean that you would be singing Christmas carols in July, which is good because, and this is my second point, my second Christmas-themed point from Micah, Christmas is better in winter. <laughs> now, it sort of pains me to say that because I love Christmas in summer. Just this last week, anybody else like me go to work wearing shorts? I was back in Australian traditional costume, shorts, thongs, T-shirt, wandering around campus thinking, this is awesome, whistling to myself, it's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas. And it's awesome. I've had Christmas in the, in the Northern Hemisphere a couple of times and it's weird. It's really cold and it's dark. I think, ah, oh, where's the joy in that? But of course, that's the point, isn't it? It's easy to be filled with joy when it's summer and you've finished your marking and the students are on holidays and Christmas holidays are stretching out and it's like, this is glorious. Joy to the world, of course. Challenges. Can you sing Christmas carols even in July when it's dark? The alarm goes off, four degrees. That's the maximum temperature for the day. It's raining <laughs> and there are no holidays in sight. 
The message of hope in chapter 4 of Micah is a dramatic change in tone from what's gone before. Moving from darkness to light here in Micah is not like a gradual sunrise. It's like someone has come in and thrown the switch and turned the lights on in the middle of the darkness. You can sort of see why there's a chapter break between uh, Micah 3 and Micah 4. But it's good to remember that the chapter and verse numbers in our Bibles aren't original. They've only been around for about 600 years and this passage has been around for at least, well, around 2,000 years longer than that. And in fact, the abrupt change of tone is accentuated in Hebrew because there is a missing and at the beginning of chapter 4 verse 1 So chapter 3 verse 12 just runs into chapter 4 verse 1 as a continuation of the one sentence. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble, the temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets and in the last days the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of all mountains in the world. There's not even time to pause for a full stop in this transition from the destruction of the temple to its re-establishment as the centre of world peace. The point is, chapter 4 isn't a new story. It's not like that we've suddenly sort of switched channels. We've had too much of the SBS news, so we've gone across to a a, a rom-com on Netflix. The same Micah who preaches chapter 4 is the Micah who has preached chapters 1, 2 and 3. Micah who has lived a world of suffering, grief, sadness, judgment. That's the message of Micah. Not just there is hope. Not even there is hope instead of darkness or there is hope in the middle of darkness but there is hope through and on the other side of darkness. Hope through suffering. Chapter 4 verses 1 to 8 is full of a glorious vision of future hope, of peace, prosperity and security. But verses 9 to 10 remind the people that the last days for them are not yet fulfilled and same is true for us. There is more suffering to come. There is crying to come. The king will be removed. The people will writhe in agony. They will be exiled to Babylon. Later in chapter 5, again they will be under siege. Verse 5 of chapter 5, again the enemies of God's people will invade. Micah's message is that salvation comes through suffering. And it's a theme that we see all the way through the Bible and of course it's a theme that prepares us for the salvation that comes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't come to replace death with life. Jesus comes to suffer death in our place, on our behalf. Jesus comes to conquer death, to defeat death in his glorious resurrection in triumph. And that promise of salvation is the same for us. In Acts 14 verse 22, Luke summarises Paul's preaching. As he returns to the churches he has established, he says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. It echoes the words of Jesus. Those who would follow him, we take up our cross and follow him. 
My point is that God's people have always sung songs of hope in the midst of darkness. And that's why Christmas is better in winter. To be able to sing a song of joy even when there's no joy or light to be found. Even in July to say, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. The challenge of Christian faith is to live in this world of violence, war, suffering, unending sadness and boldly say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. To say with Paul from Romans 8 that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that we will be revealed in us. The challenge and the invitation of Christian faith is to find hope even when there are no visible signs of hope. To sing Christmas carols even in the middle of winter. So, Micah calls God's people to be a community of hope. To be a community of hope even when the world around seems hopeless. And thirdly, to be a community of hope that brings hope by working towards God's good future. Which is my third Christmas-themed point. Christians are like nativity scenes. Christians are like nativity scenes. Come with me to Micah chapter 5, verses 7 to 8. Micah gives two descriptions of the remnant of Jacob. The remnant of, of Jacob, that's God's faithful people those who have remained uh, faithful to God, but in this vision the, the remnant are going to be scattered among the nations, found in the midst of many peoples. And Micah uses two seemingly contradictory images, two strange images for God's people. God's people, verse 7, are like dew from the Lord. That water that appears in the morning as the moisture in the air condenses on the grass. God's people are like dew. And in verse 8, God's people are like a lion among the beasts of the forests, mauling and mangling flocks of defenceless sheep. Again, what a glorious Sunday school craft activity. One commentator has said, God's people will be an unstoppable blessing. Like dew, they bring a blessing which is unobtrusive, hardly noticed, and yet extremely effective. And like lions, God's people are invincible as the agents of God's justice. A great combination of images. Micah says, don't lose hope. Work toward God's good future. Be those who will work for peace, even in a world without peace. You'll be invincible because you go in the name 
of the Lord our God. So too, Christian people, we live in hope even in the midst of darkness. We live scattered in the midst of many peoples and throughout the history of the church, the unobtrusive but unstoppable blessing of God has come through uh, the work of God's people when we are at our best. We work for peace, to bring God's blessing and to work towards God's justice, to bring God's invincible, unstoppable blessing and righteousness that has been won for us and the world through the love of God in Christ Jesus. We participate now in the victory that Jesus has won, which is kind of like saying that Christians are like a living nativity scene. We show the world the light and love and life of Christ among the ordinariness of human life. There are all sorts of nativity scenes. There's the traditional, there's the modern And then there's the ones that might be a silhouette of Mary and Joseph at the manger or could be two dinosaurs fighting over who gets to use the circular saw. (laughs) But the purpose of of the nativity is not just to remind us of the story but to bring the story to be a reality in our lived experience. This is a Roman Catholic prayer at the blessing of a nativity. Bless us as we look upon this manger. May it remind us of the humble birth of Jesus and raise our minds to contemplate the awesome mystery of God made flesh. Wouldn't that be a good prayer to pray for Christians as we go about our daily lives? That as our neighbours, colleagues, family and friends look upon us, we pray that they would be reminded of the humble birth of Jesus and raise their minds to contemplate the awesome mystery that God would become human and through him bring life and hope to the world. What I'm hearing from God as I read Micah 4-5 to is that we'll be a living nativity if we were to sing Christmas carols all year round and especially in winter. Or in other words, would we be a community of hope? Not a hope that denies the harsh reality of our world, but a community full of hope even in the midst of suffering that declares to the world that the power to save has come in the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus and by demonstrating the life of peace and blessing that his kingdom brings. Amen.